0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Never short on opinions or topics for Libby's Nimer, you manage to set the tone each and every Friday. Welcome to the best of Free For All Friday 2020 with Jane Brown.
1: Good afternoon and Happy New Year. Welcome to the best of Free For All Friday 2020 from the year that was. And I think we can all agree it was a year like no other. Thank you for taking the time on Fridays during 2020 to call in and voice your opinion on the news stories that interested you primarily the COVID-19 pandemic, and all of the issues surrounding it from January through to December. So in return, we on the Fight Back team would like to take the time during this special free-for-all Friday to feature the very best calls of this past year. When the year began, we knew there was a new virus circulating in China, but little did we know the pandemic it would become. Instead, we were focused on other issues and events, like the federal conservative leadership race. In early January, Lorraine called from Peterborough and laid out what she saw as the priorities for Canada's next conservative leader.
2: When it comes to a candidate, it needs to be someone who can identify with Canadian voters, and Canadian voters can identify with that person it needs to be someone who can put forth policies that can be met and the promise kept. For example, we need a national senior strategy. We're going to have a lot of seniors by the year 2035, and they tend to be the largest chunk of voters. And I don't see anything on the horizon in any of the parties in going in this direction. We also have the uh, national pharmacare issue. We have Medicare, but we don't have the pharmacare to to do it. So we need a leader who can push forward policies that will resonate with Canadians. And until the Conservatives can do that, they're going to have some stiff opposition from the other parties.
1: Aaron O'Toole ultimately ended up winning the leadership, which was a virtual event in late August. Other issues pre-pandemic included proposed changes to the assisted dying legislation. Jane in Mississauga called to tell us of her very personal story of assisted death. My husband uh,
3: passed away a week, uh, week ago. We uh, found out about the MAID program and it was perfect for my husband he um had been dealing with a um, very rare uh, heart condition and and he was getting to the point of really suffering and he had talked to uh, his long time 40 year family doctor who uh, totally agreed with him my husband was 91 very sound mind very sharp knew exactly what he was doing and was just so pleased he said this is for me it couldn't have been more peaceful. And uh, to me, it's it's been like helping me with the grieving process because everything we were able to plan together. And uh, I, I hate to think that two weeks is um, all that people are going to get to comment on this because I don't think uh, most people even know it's available to begin with.
1: Even before the pandemic, there were concerns of a health care emergency in Brampton, Ashley called in mid-January to say she agreed with her city councillors that it was an urgent matter.
4: I'm 28 years old. I have lived in Brampton all my life. There really, really, truly is no exaggeration when it comes to the wait times and the level of care that you get when you go to Brampton Civic Hospital. You often feel like you are not even a human being. I have been going to the hospital on and off since 2007 uh, due to a motor vehicle accident where I broke my back. I would say 85 to 90% of the time, you are in a hallway or a waiting room that is not only over capacity with patients, but over capacity with guests. Seats are taken up, tempers start to flare when the wait times are as long as they are. Honestly, the level of care that I get there. I could honestly get that at any walk-in clinic that didn't give, well, two cents about you.
1: You're listening to the best calls of 2020 from Zoomer Radio's Free for All Friday. I'm Jane Brown. Remember the rotating teacher strikes at the beginning of the year? It was all-consuming for parents of Ontario public school students before the various contracts were settled. In mid-February, Rachel in Brampton phoned to say parents need to stand up to cuts to education.
5: I'm a mom as well. I'm a 17 years old. I have a child who is under the spectrum of autism, and this affected me uh, tremendously. I mean, I, I lost a couple of days' work, but I still support the teachers. And ex- exactly what they're saying, the class size, the support is cut, and even my own child support is, you know, uh, not the way it was before.
1: It was during the first week of March. Those of us living in Ontario were told by public health experts, we were at low risk of contracting COVID-19. But concerns about the virus began discussions about the importance of thorough handwashing and doing away with the traditional handshake as a way of greeting each other. Ron in Guelph called in about that.
6: I'm 71 years old, so obviously I grew up in an era when um, you were taught as a child to uh, be respectful and shake your somebody's hand. I mean, I I drive the school bus. I mean, with the kids on I bus, I mean, um, for the most part, I give the kids a fist bump, and they all love it. I mean, you still give still nothing wrong with smiling as you, you know, give somebody a friendly fist bump. You know, I guess it's just you know in this era, you know, I, I mean, we're so much worried about. Whether it's the flu or the COVID-19, everybody's worried about it. So are our times changing? Who knows?
1: During the week of March 9th, the virus was elevated to pandemic status and states of emergency were declared and shutdowns began. It was during that week, Natalie from Toronto called to offer her perspective on the COVID-19 pandemic.
7: I lived through SARS because my father was in North York General, not with SARS, but with something else. I lived through the part where they called me 10 days later to say, Oh, we had a SARS patient on your floor where they originally said they didn't. So I know how scared I was then. And I'm pretty scared now because I've had cancer. I've had MRSA. And yes, I am only 69 years old and fairly healthy. But if I got it, if someone who they don't care if you're, you're sick or you're not sick, they go. But my mother's nursing home, I can tell you that if there's more than three or four cases of the flu, regular flu, in that nursing home, they shut it down. And not only do they shut it down, they will call the guardian of every single person in that home to say, don't come.
1: Little did we know at that point how devastating the virus would become in long-term care. Back in March, we were all getting used to the idea of a pandemic and what we needed to do individually and collectively to curb the spread of this virus. It was around that time we began using the term social distancing as direction for staying two meters apart from others. Julia from Toronto called in to talk about social distance anxiety.
8: I want to address this term that has become so uh, mainstream, social distancing. I read something from a psychologist who specializes in anxiety, and he suggested the word physical distancing because we're really not trying to isolate ourselves socially, but really to spread, to flatten the curve and reduce the spread of the virus physically. So we're very concerned right now about depression and anxiety, and I thought that would be something that would be
9: a good change.
8: You know, I already spent a lot of time alone because I work from home, but I have to say that um, this particular situation even affects me more than I would have expected but I am trying to stay in touch with friends through the phone and other ways. So it's really the physical part that is more of an issue, and, um, and that's how the virus is spread. So I think people can remain socially in touch. But as I said, the word physical distancing would be maybe be more appropriate and accurate and would bring down the anxiety level of everyone.
1: Thanks for joining us on this special edition of the Best of Free-for-All Friday from the year that was. I'm Jane Brown. It was toward the end of March we started hearing accounts of increasing numbers of deaths related to COVID-19 in long-term care. Lynn in Peterborough shared a story from her daughter-in-law who worked at Pinecrest Nursing Home in Bob Cajun. Which had one of the worst death tolls during the first wave of COVID 19?
10: They don't have any help. They have no help. They have 65 residents, three people looking after them. They're all on trace. Three are already COVID 19 positive. Two residents died that weren't even confirmed COVID 19. I'm afraid all 70, all 65 probably have it and they can't get help. We have already notified the Premier. Long-term care keeps phoning there. What do you need? They need help. They just need hands-on help. They've reached out to some of the private companies that provide PSWs. They can't get help. Even the staff, they're all out on quarantine. Eight of them are COVID-19. And like I say, my daughter-in-law works in activities. But she's doing frontline work because she feels
1: badly. By the time the first wave was finished, 1,817 residents of Ontario's nursing homes would die after contracting the virus. In the early days of April, not only were we hearing about the tragic deaths in long-term care... But we were also hearing about the dedication of staff in nursing homes who were being deemed as heroes for working with COVID-19 patients and putting their own health at risk. Joy in Markham called at that time to say she's a frontline healthcare worker and a lot older than 65.
9: I'm glad the doctor clarified this age
1: thing. You know,
9: um, you would be shocked to know that I'm currently p s w my birthday in may i'll be seventy seven i've been on the front line a um, couple of weeks ago uh, taking temperature and all that, but my main source of work is to help the elderly, especially the alzheimer 's the dementias and all that so you know it, it's a very challenging job at age my age which, you know, I'm proud of, and I'm still able to go out. As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready right now to go to my job. Here I am still standing and is able to give of myself to those who cannot help themselves, and I'm prepared to fight this COVID. I guarantee a lot of nursing homes would love to have me on their staff.
1: It was on April 22nd, Premier Doug Ford announced that members of the armed forces were being called in to help out at five long-term care homes, particularly hard hit by COVID-19. It was during this time loved ones were not allowed inside nursing homes, a loss that was felt by staff who relied on family members to help with residents. Paul in Etobicoke called during this period and shared a personal experience about COVID-19 and nursing home staff.
11: My wife works in a long-term home in Toronto, and one of the staff tested positive for corona. The staff obviously, you know, remained home in quarantine. But the staff member did have contact with basically everybody in the nursing home. So the case in, in my wife's case is that they would like all the staff to be tested before returning to work. If they're in the incubation period and they're at work, they could be spreading it to the residents and they wouldn't know that. But they're basically telling them that unless you're showing signs, There's no need to be tested. But by that time, it could be too late because you could actually be spreading it, being in in, in the incubation uh, period. And it's like a catch-22 situation. I don't know.
1: It seems so long ago now, doesn't it? The first wave of COVID-19 and what happened in the province's nursing homes, which sadly is recurring during the second wave. This is the Best of Free-for-All Friday 2020. I'm Jane Brown. We'll get back to the best calls of the year right after this break.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. We heard you, even if we didn't always agree. You're listening to the best of Free For All Friday 2020 with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back to the best calls of 2020 on Free For All Friday. If you've been a regular listener to Fight Back with Libby Zneimer this past year, you got to know some special people, including Norma in Mississauga, who called us twice. First to say she was very concerned about the health and safety of her brother whose roommate at Eatonville Care Center died with COVID-19. Norma later called to say as a result of telling her story on Fight Back, which also got the attention of CARP, her brother was then receiving much better care.
12: I received a call on Monday evening that says from the executive director that says she will follow up and the first thing she will do is to get someone to shave him because that was the worst part of his condition. And I just received another call now from Eatonville charge nurse who said he is up in the chair after four weeks in bed. And she says he is in good spirit because he's now able to look out the window. So I just want to say thanks so very much because I don't think anything would have been done for my brother if I had not brought it to the attention of your show. So at least I know he's looking partly like a human being and he's not
1: positive. In early May, loneliness was becoming an issue for many older people who have primarily stayed in their homes during the pandemic. Among them, Annette in Etobicoke, who at 85 said she was doing her best to stay well at home.
8: I've been in my home home since 1956. So I try and manage by myself. Um, My daughters all live far away. Um, I have someone bring in my groceries, which was very hard to get started because I couldn't find anybody. Nobody would answer the phones. So it was hard. Um, I haven't driven my car in six weeks. So I was lucky enough also to get my insurance canceled for till
1: September. This is the best of Free For All Friday 2020 on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. We're looking back week by week at how you were coping with the pandemic and what was important for you to talk about each Friday during 2020. In mid-May, we learned from a Toronto Star investigation, a resident in a for-profit home was about 60% more likely to catch COVID-19 and 45% more likely to die with it than a nursing home resident in a non-profit home. The gap was even larger when compared with municipally run homes. Patricia in Ajax called with her view of COVID-19 and long-term care as one of the founders of the Advocacy Center for the Elderly.
13: My view is that there needs to be a full public inquiry and it needs to be an investigative inquiry and it needs to have a very broad mandate. And I also believe that there need to be police investigations into what's occurred in long-term care. If you read the inspection reports, it certainly raises questions about whether criminal acts have taken place. And I think police should be asked to start with those inspection reports. The other thing that's not appropriate is that the Ford government totally reduced the number of inspections, resident quality inspections, that were taking place. Those are the comprehensive inspections that we actually need. And we need a strengthened inspection branch, not a weakened one. And quite frankly, we shouldn't be institutionalizing this number of older adults anyway.
1: Ontario entered stage one of the COVID-19 related restrictions in the middle of May after two months of a complete lockdown. That's when Jim in Pickering called with his suggestions for clothing stores to avoid having shoppers trying on clothes while we were still in the pandemic.
3: Well, you have a sample product there. So it could be a jacket in the clothing store, a jacket or a shirt or something of that nature. And and you have one there just for sizing, not the general merchandise that is for sale. And so that you could bring that out and have them try it. And then that's isolated. So you deal with that how, however you choose. And with the hardware, yes, you have a sample product. If you have to have the feel of the tool, it's that sample product and then it is wiped down carefully after. But when I go to a store, I know my size, but if you buy a different brand, it may not be the same. So you have to take out all the little pins, unbutton all those buttons, and da-da-da.
1: The governing PCs at Queen's Park announced in May the launch of an independent commission into the devastation caused by COVID-19 in long-term care, as outlined by members of the Canadian Armed Forces. Critics called for a full public inquiry. But the Ford Tories said time was of the essence. Betty in Niagara-on-the-Lake knew this firsthand. She called toward the end of May to talk about the dire situation in some nursing homes.
8: All
14: the government predecessors knew. They've known for years. There's been so many investigations. There's so many advocacy groups that have notified the government about this. Nobody listens. This is great that the military has blown the whistle. Um, but right away, immediately, they could uh, legislate uh, annual inspections. That they and I know some of the people don't. Uh, they're not the greatest. They're they're a bit of a joke. But at least they were getting in there uh, annually because the residents can't. Some of them can't complain themselves. Uh, increase wages for the PSWs. Work, have them working in one home. Just some of the things they've implemented now with COVID, keep that. That should be permanent. Um, and increase the hours of care. I, I take care of a woman in a nursing home who, uh, and I've been told by the PSWs, 12 minutes to get them up, dressed, and uh, in the dining room for breakfast. It's impossible to do what they, they're doing. Every home isn't in the kind of condition that these uh, the military had discovered. But there is a lot of neglect and abuse going on in nursing homes. And as I said, it's been going on for decades.
1: In the first wave of COVID-19, there were criticisms that not enough people were getting tested for the virus, while Premier Doug Ford continued to push for more comprehensive and widespread testing. During the first week of June, Peter in Newmarket called to talk about his belief in mass testing for COVID-19
15: had a situation at the golf course, uh, a young lad, his father uh, was put into hospital with uh, uh, COVID-19 symptoms and uh, on occasion this young fellow used the same golf cart that I did. And I couldn't remember if I had come in contact with him uh, during the uh, uh, period that was mentioned. So I immediately went uh, to South Lake Hospital and got tested. I agree that uh, anybody should take the time to go and get tested. And uh, that would give true numbers that uh, could be reported.
1: As we started to hear more from Premier Doug Ford about coming out of the lockdown, Ontario residents began getting excited about going back to their favorite restaurants to dine inside or on a patio, especially as the weather started getting warmer. It was around that time Norm in Toronto called to say he hoped he would be celebrating a milestone birthday by going out to a restaurant.
6: I'll be turning 65 on June 30th, and my lady and I are actually looking forward to going to a restaurant. But on the other hand, I've become rather adept at baking pies from scratch. so (laughs) I've made the best of what I can with this isolation.
1: Thank you, Norm, for calling in, and we hope you got to celebrate at your favorite restaurant. You're listening to the best calls of 2020 from Free For All Friday on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. It was a joyous but also difficult time when family members were allowed to visit their loved ones in long-term care after a three-month lockdown. We received calls from many of you sharing your reunion stories. Some of you were saddened to see how much your loved ones had deteriorated during the lockdown, but there were also calls of anticipation and excitement, including from Natalie in Scarborough, who phoned our Zoomer squad to say she had scheduled a visit to see her mother, who was in a nursing home, in good health and was about to turn 100. Thank God. Thank goodness.
7: She must miss you. Oh, she does. But, you know, I call her every day. We talk all the time.
16: Has the nursing home been helpful in, oh, yes. in arranging this?
7: Oh, yes. yeah. They're really, really excellent. And um, they really will do anything for their, the
1: people in the home. We're happy for you that you're able to see <laughs> your mom.
7: You, thank you very much. And please call back after you see her and let us know how it all went. I will. Thank you.
2: Okay.
1: Then there was Verna in Oakville who called us back after her first two visits to see her husband, Bruce, who'd been in a nursing home lockdown due to COVID-19.
17: Yesterday, I went to deliver a Father's Day card to the reception to be given to Bruce. And I didn't actually do a window visit, but I looked because it was lunchtime. I looked through the window and I saw all the residents in the unit and I have to say I was so shocked at the deterioration of all of them and Bruce was being two caregivers walked him in and tried to get him to sit down but he seems to have lost the ability to know how to sit down so I was really shocked with that but I noticed such a dramatic deterioration Yesterday, especially. But when I saw him as well at the visit outside, I noticed he was very frail and he had a blank, you know, when he wasn't actually interacting with me, um, he had a blank affect, you know, his face was blank.
1: Verna became a regular favourite on Fight Back in the early days of summer 2020. The following week, she called to say she would like to see the rules concerning visits to long-term care homes changed.
17: I wouldn't mind if it got even more strict if I was allowed in. I would be prepared to bathe in sanitizer, to have a COVID test every single day, to wear complete PPE, even a hazmat suit, if I was allowed in to care for my husband. He is deteriorating, as so many other residents in long-term care are, and it's breaking my heart, and something has got to change, especially if there's going to be a second wave. And at the moment, if the weather's too hot, my visitor will be, my visit will be cancelled. What's going to happen in October when the weather changes? We can't visit outside. Something, there must be, there must be a way. And, And for me, I would do anything, anything.
1: This is Zoomer Radio's best of Free For All Friday 2020. I'm Jane Brown. With the release of the report from the Canadian Armed Forces about the bleak state of conditions in five of Ontario's long-term care homes, we were starting to hear more about unbearable conditions in nursing homes during the summer. Debbie in Guelph phoned about the lack of air conditioning in long-term care.
18: The building I worked in was not air-conditioned. They had an, uh, a window one in the uh, dining room area, and The residents perhaps didn't complain about the heat, but they also, you know, honestly didn't realize sometimes at their age or with their mental capacity just how hot it was and how dehydrated they were becoming. We needed to go around and I mean, I was one that instigated one night, let's hand out glasses of water and every one of those residents guzzled down the water that I handed them. But not only that, it's the staff trying to work in the facility that has no air conditioning. It was so difficult trying to care for the residents when we were ourselves were sweltering, trying to lift them, you know, care for them. It was, it was unbelievably hot.
1: Initially, outdoor visits were allowed in Ontario's long-term care homes starting in mid-June. By mid-July, loved ones were looking forward to inside visits. Dick in Thorn Hill among them.
4: We're so elated that um, this will be opening up so we can go in there and take care of our, um, our dad right now. We went in there last week in a bit of frustration of the of the hospital, uh-huh. and we got in there to see him. You know, he was so much elated to see it. He would like to see us more uh, because we, we do have the virtual check chat, uh, chat, uh, two, three times a week, and that is not satisfying to him. He just wants to see us instead
11: of having to go to
1: As we all know, Zoomers love to travel. But this past year, we did very little of that other than in our own regions. We embraced the staycation and saved money while we were at it. Toward the end of July, Dennis and Brampton called to weigh in on not traveling during the summer of 2020.
6: I don't foresee any travel plans as yet. I think it's too early. Uh, I'm fearful of circumstances on the road where I don't have the kind of control I have when I'm at home. And with respect to flying, uh, for myself and those I know who love to travel, they don't see getting on an airplane any time in the new future, if at all going into the future, for two reasons. One is that COVID and the safety, but the whole airport experience uh, for seniors is now so overwhelming that uh, it, it, it just doesn't seem worth it.
1: This is Zuma Radio's Best of Free-for-All Friday 2020. I'm Jane Brown. Long-term care home indoor visits were first allowed on July 22nd, but some loved ones of residents were complaining about the rules. The provincial government guidelines at that time allowed for physical contact between a masked indoor visitor and a resident. But some nursing home owners were not allowing this out of concern for a resurgence of COVID-19. It was at the end of July, Heather in Toronto called to tell us about how her mother suffered a horrible experience in long-term care while the lockdown was still going on. Just after Mother's Day, I called and
19: I said, how is my mother doing? said, so, well, she had a fall. She got a cut on her head and she was limping a bit, but we're going to keep an eye on her. She seems fine. And then we went to see her at the window and they had her in a wheelchair. Now, she had been walking before that with a with a walk. I said, why is she in the wheelchair? Well, you know, she said her her hip is sore because she's 92 and they said she was tired and she likes to be in the wheelchair. I went, okay. And then a month later, she's still in the wheelchair. They said to me, well, we sent in for portable x-ray machine just to recheck her hip just in case because we did not see the fall and it came back she's got a broken hip she had been there seven weeks with a broken hip in the chair and they had been changing her putting her into pants all the time with a broken hip now they never told us they were getting a portable x-ray machine and we only found out because they had to call us to say we think she needs surgery she had the surgery She was in there, ended up for like three weeks, heavily drugged on hydromorphone, and she had lost 15 pounds. And by the time she got back to the home, and I actually saw her two days ago, she is basically not there anymore.
1: Fight Back listeners have shared some difficult stories of how the pandemic is affecting their lives in early August, Donna called. She is a caregiver and spoke about the extreme stress she was enduring.
11: It's frustrating. It's painful. It's He's abusive. It's just not good at all. It's difficult. I have a 100-kilometer commute daily. And then I go home, and it's the house to look after, the lawn to cut, him to take care of. I had a respite visit on the weekend I was supposed to have. I thought, great, I can get away. I got to my destination, and they called me and said, we can't fill the visit today.
1: Oh, my God.
11: I got home after the weekend, hadn't taken any of his medication. You know, it's just... Think you've got these people for backup and that you can count on so that you can get a break and can get away from it? Just doesn't happen.
1: Then there was Andrea in Toronto who called toward the middle of August about the situation in long-term care homes in the wake of news of another multi-million dollar lawsuit against a nursing home operator.
8: What makes me madder than anything is why nobody has asked minister fullerton to be accountable for this. like she still has her job she's still collecting a lovely paycheck I'm sure and she just stands there with the premier which is very nice of him to to back her up but why isn't her neck on the chopping block if she says oh we've been working on it is that good enough as a Ontarian That, for me, is no way good enough. I'm a senior. I I told my daughter, I will die at home before you put me in a long-term care home.
1: You're listening to the best calls of 2020 from Free For All Friday on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, your calls as we got into the second wave of COVID-19.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Back to Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio with more of the best of Free For All Friday 2020. When what was on your mind made it on the air.
1: Welcome back to the best of Free For All Friday 2020. As the summer wore on, many people in Ontario were still getting used to wearing masks in public spaces. Paul in Mississauga called Fight Back to express his concerns about those who were not adhering to public health guidelines.
11: I'm a frontline worker who's out there battling the pandemic. And I went to court credit for dinner with my wife on the weekend. Uh, Like most patios and restaurants, there is a lineup. But I was very disappointed to find so many people in the lineup as well as walking by on the sidewalk with no mask, no physical distancing, and just like it's any other day, and we're never going to win this war with people like that.
1: It was also around this time, anxieties about children heading back to school began increasing. In-person learning had been shut down across the province since March break, and parents and teachers were voicing concern that not enough protections against COVID-19 were being put in place for staff and students. Michael called from the road with his take on what he saw as a mess around back-to-school during COVID-19.
16: I think we've been sadly let down by teachers' unions, boards of education, and the teachers themselves in a matter of uh, implementing back-to-school policies and procedures. They've known about this <clears throat> pandemic since March. Uh, what did they meet and come up with in March? Nothing. How about April? Nothing. May, nothing. June, nothing. And then finally they started to wake up to the fact that, hey, the kids are probably going to go back to school in September. What are we going to do about it? Well, they came up with nothing. And I suppose to shield their embarrassment over the fact that they just aren't pre- performing in a professional manner, they're trying to stick the government with blame on uh, for this. Oh, the government's to blame for all of this. Oh, the Ministry of Labor hasn't acted on uh, implementing ASHRAE ventilation recommendations. It's just the teachers, the unions, the boards are all covering themselves up. They sat at home drawing full salaries all during the pandemic, and now they're crying the blues.
1: At this point in the year, around the beginning of September, outbreaks of COVID-19 had decreased dramatically in long-term care homes. We were promised by the Ford PCs they were improving staffing and guidelines to ensure that the coming second wave would not devastate nursing homes, as was the case in the first wave. Sherry in Toronto has worked in nursing homes before and during the pandemic and called fight back during the first week of September.
3: I am a certified PSW for about eight and a half years now. And things that I have seen um, in nursing homes is just unbelievable. The things that I've reported, it, 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 it's very upsetting. What I have seen, um, the lack of care, the neglect, the overworked PSWs, um, the lack of supplies, It's about time that our government is finally opening their eyes and realizing the reality of this situation.
1: You don't see any difference now that we're six months into this pandemic. You don't see any difference in improved care, especially in light of uh, the horrific situation with the deaths back in the spring.
3: I don't see any great um, improvement. No, I really don't.
1: Around mid-September, we were all bracing for the inevitable, the second wave of COVID-19. Jerry and Sutton phoned with some observations and questions.
11: With the worry about second wave coming on, well, we've also got winter coming on, which means people won't be gathering at beaches, parks. Winter sports like skating, skiing will probably be curtailed which means people will be spending more time at home. So the less people moving around, the less chance of contact with the, with the virus. And why hasn't the government issued some form of sample kit that could be sent out to every household so we could get tested, find out who's a carrier and who's not, and I'd be able to isolate the carriers, which are spreading it.
1: And what about the long-term effects of COVID-19? Dennis in Brampton called about that.
6: One of the um, things that's being overlooked when we discuss number of cases, people talk about deaths in relation to cases. But there is a lot of uh, evidence and instances out there now where the effects of the COVID disease are lasting much longer than mm-hmm. Uh, anyone had thought, and they're actually being referred to as long haulers at, who are having negative impact of COVID six months to a year after they've had the disease. So um, people treat are continuing to treat this as just a, uh, or some are, continuing to look at it as normal flu. It is not.
1: As we neared the end of September, the numbers of daily COVID-19 cases were starting to creep back up. That's when Helen in Toronto called. She was concerned about messaging around the new visitor restrictions in long-term care.
20: My mother's in long-term care, and I've got a wonderful relationship with the director. She was sending me something, and uh, I, t- I sent her back an email saying, I'm very confused. I get this from, you know, they have their... Uh, uh, their bulletins that they send, out. I said, I get this, I get that, I get the other, like, where am I? So she wrote back and said to me, we are going to consider you an essential caregiver. Yeah. Uh, you fill out this documentation, and, you know, you'll be able to come when you want, as long as you want, as often as you want. In the interim, I had been speaking to a social worker, and I said, you know, it's driving me a little bit bananas, because my mother's got dementia, and uh, I don't know if she knows who I am in sunglasses and uh, a mask, <laughs> was like, it's been a while. Right. So she said to me, You know what, Helen? You're not the only one. Every single home, every single person I speak to who has someone in the seniors' home, ha- and the homes could even be de- owned by the same companies, they're all different. No two homes are, tr- are um, interpreting what they're getting from the government in the same way. Oh, so it is mass confusion.
1: And then there was Thanksgiving. We were all asked to commemorate the occasion with only members of our own households. There were no more bubbles of 10 people to a social circle. The narration began to change around socializing only with those you live with. Ahead of Thanksgiving, June in Mississauga called to say she was feeling isolated as a result of what she perceived as contradictory rules around COVID-19.
5: I was going to go to my son's, but I don't drive those distances anymore. So my son's going to come by on Sunday for an outside visit and drop off some food. But my biggest complaint is about outlets for seniors that live alone. I belong to the Mississauga Senior Center, and I used to go there five days a week for activities. Uh, Exercise classes got cut in March. Then I managed to exercise for September. Then I got booted out of the class because they cut them back to 10. And my problem is when they're making decisions to government, it's a generalized thing. Like, I don't understand if we were in a senior centers with all precautions and seniors are twice as cautious as anybody else.
1: Why, all of a sudden now, I'm cut to sitting in the house again looking outside. There was a frenzy this year for the flu shot, both the regular and high-dose vaccines. Demand for the shot in Ontario this year far surpassed demand in previous years, as we were being told by the health experts to get the shot to ensure hospitals don't become overcrowded in the event of another COVID surge. That's around the time Diane in Burlington called to say she had no trouble getting her flu shot. Um, I am seventy-one. I'm a senior.
21: Um, I'm in reasonably good shape. I don't have a walker or a cane. But when you know, when I get on one of these buses. You know, all this talk about social distancing, and I get on a bus and with my shopping buggy, and there's other people. Of course, they have their shopping buggies, and you get. Parents with kids with in strollers the size of Cadillacs—it's it's very, very hard to maneuver around. And I have a uh, my balance isn't as good as it used to be, so I'd like to get into a seat, and it is punishing sometimes. And um, I actually—I don't know—I'm upset because they talk about social distancing, and sometimes we're no more than three inches apart. And I hope something can be done to improve that.
1: Are, do you feel safe going on the T T C are you looking well, for an I,
21: alternative? I, I, well, I still have you know, I do my own shopping, I run my own errands and I'm not I'm not saying I'm out every day, but um, you know, um I don't have the balance I did when I was younger. And you know, when the bus comes to a stop all of a sudden I can flip over and either hurt myself or hurt someone else. And I actually, you know, have sometimes gotten off a bus. To get on to another one because I'm somewhat claustrophobic. And as I said, we're, you know, we're almost back to back, belly to belly situation there. <laughs> it's not comfortable.
1: We've gotten used to hearing from and seeing our political leaders, municipal, provincial and federal on an almost daily basis as they provide updates on strategies around curbing COVID-19 and plan for distribution of COVID vaccines. Rose in Mississauga phone Fight Back to say she appreciates how hard the political leaders are working during the COVID-19 crisis. The
13: uh, Ford government and uh, Justin Trudeau, they are doing a magnificent, magnificent job. They are being just totally stressed out. You can imagine yourself working 24 hours a day together with the cabinet ministers. I, am a, I was a conservative but now I am leaning more towards the liberals, and why is that? That is because I am uh, I am a senior. They are tr- trying to do their best job, and how can you uh, how can the conservatives just go on with the We Charity scandal with uh, with uh, any other uh, 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 trying to make too much noise in regards to uh, to uh, all those investigations. I agree that it was not the right thing with a witch Charity. But on the other hand, let, let the government do their job that they're doing during a pandemic. Uh, this pandemic is, is horrific. Uh,
1: there are no jobs for anybody. They are trying to do their best. As we fell back to Standard Time on November 1st, Momentum was building at Queen's Park to get rid of the twice-yearly time changes. In fact, since then, an act was passed in the legislature to go to year-round daylight saving time once both Quebec and New York State decide to do the same. Pat in Toronto called Fight Back about his preference for a year-round permanent time.
15: We need to keep daylight saving. Otherwise, what's going to happen? It's going to be very light at 4 o'clock in the morning, and it's going to be getting dark before uh, 9 o'clock at night in the summertime. And I I lived in Indonesia uh, where the difference between winter and summer as as far as light is 15 minutes um, and really missed the, the summer daylight. But I also took a cruise up the coast of Norway, and you get up to a place called North Cape, which is well up in the Arctic Circle. They are either gaining or losing 12 minutes of daylight per day. So at this time of year, they're losing an hour of light every five days.
1: It was a very different Remembrance Day this year, as we were told to commemorate the occasion privately or watch the ceremonies online. Fight Back aired a special program to acknowledge Remembrance Day, and that's when Ray in Jordan, Ontario, called with his memories of the end of World War II.
15: I was probably four and a half or five years old, and the war came at the end. My brother and I, Gary and I, built a straw dummy of Hitler. Now, the idea was that when the fire started in the middle of the street, the night of the end of the war, you were supposed to throw the dummy on. But our neighbors beat, it, beat us to it, <laughs> so we carried that straw dummy around town until he actually fell apart. <laughs> so the it was a lot of cheering, a lot of dancing. Um, my dad owned a shoe store in the middle of town. He put loudspeakers out in front of the store and uh everybody just had a great great time that day and for the days after and And wow. both incidents uh were very spectacular to a young kid at that time of uh in life.
1: This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Free-for-All Friday 2020. I'm Jane Brown. And then there was Christmas. The advice was the same as at Thanksgiving, celebrate with only members of your household. This concept was only fully embraced by just over half of Canadians, according to a survey of 1,200 Canadian adults outside of Quebec. About 33 percent of respondents said they would have family outside their household for Christmas, but with extra safety precautions in place. Barry in North York called Fight Back with some prudent and timely advice for all of us.
6: I go every year to visit my family in London at Christmas, um, and there's no way I'm taking a bus going up there. They realize that, and they're willing to come down and pick me up, but I was just talking to a friend the other day and said, with well, the cases going up in Ontario it's just ridiculous so I'm even thinking I'm saying no, I'm sorry, I, I will do a zoom Christmas I just I just don't feel right, even though London doesn't have a lot of cases, but don't need one to get it and I'd like to be around for other Christmases, and we can do this we can sacrifice now in order so that we can celebrate properly and everybody will be around to celebrate properly next
1: year. Thank you for that sentiment, Barry, as we wrap up this year's best of free for all Friday on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Thank you for joining us through the year and we look forward to talking with you during 2021, starting with a brand new show hosted by Libby Snymer on Monday.
0: You've been listening to the best of Free For All Friday 2020 with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Produced for MZ Media Limited by Jane Brown, Justin Ecock, and Ziv Hadi. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Zneimer.